Welcome to Uplifting Women podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. Welcome everyone to this new episode of Uplifting Women. I'm Holly Tesca. And my co-host Kristen is off vacationing in a sunny, warm location. I'm very jealous, but I'm hoping she's having a really good time. Today, we are honored to have Liz Moda with us. Liz, with nearly a 15-year career thus far, which has spanned media planning and buying, social media, data analytics, sports entertainment, marketing, and strategy, and more. Liz would say she's right in the middle of it. (laughs) A true beneficiary of the women who were trailblazers, Liz has achieved what many of those trailblazers hope for those that followed. Lately, she's been realizing that women have so much further to go and that she and her peers have a job to do now. Liz is curious, intuitive, driven, and passionate about people. She gets excited about listening, hearing, and then acting. Liz is the mother of two sons who are incidentally home today on a snow day. So we may have a visit from them. We never know what's going to happen on this show. (laughs) And she is currently a vice president overseeing insights and analytics. And I'm going to put a plug in here. Her dad, Dave Summers, actually introduced us. And Dave is a good friend of mine. So I am so delighted to have you, Liz. Thank you for joining us. Holly, thank you so much for having me. And thank you. And Kristen, for doing this and all you do, the podcast and Uplifting Women. I'm so honored to be here. And hi, Dad. <laughs> I'm hi. sure he'll enjoy that. We'll get I'm a sure download will. from him. How's that? I know. <laughs> One. He'll stop. He'll stop listening we'll, we'll after. There. He'll stop listening right about now and say, okay, I got what I <laughs> wanted. No, he won't. I got what I wanted. <laughs> so Liz, you and I had a great conversation a few weeks ago talking about kind of where you are and you describe it as right in the middle of things. You're clearly a rising leader in the prime of her career right now. And our conversation really focused a lot around women in the workplace and what it's like today and what you're thinking about. I'm going to let you take it from there because I'm curious what else did our earlier conversation spark bring out for you? And where's your, what are you thinking about in this regard today? Oh my God, Holly, first of all, I'm so impressed that you still wanted to talk to me after that, because it's, you were 
what you said earlier about being at a very specific point in my career right now, I'm very much at that point. I am 36 years old. I was promoted to vice president maybe six years ago. So I am on the younger end, not six years ago, six months ago, maybe on the younger end for that role and that level of responsibility. And it feels like I'm at that important point in my career where it's like, People are starting to go, who are you and, and what are you doing and, and what's your thinking? And I'm t- usually totally stuck for talking about myself. I am generally pretty trash at that. And I would argue many women have to learn and fight their way out of that. So someone like me, who's generally very confident, doesn't have a problem talking to anybody at any level. I, I completely gum up as soon as somebody goes, hey, what's going on with you? It would who are you? And I go, so after I talked to you, it was, it got me thinking for a while about I'm at a tipping point. I really need to start leaning into who I want to be when I grow up. And a huge step on that is being able to talk about who I am, Mm -hmm. where I've been, where I'm going, not necessarily define every single step because that's very unrealistic in this day and age, but especially um, when you have young children, yeah, you're never going to know exactly what that next step is, but right. um, knowing the guideposts. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot to balance. And clearly you are on um, the fast track in leadership, which is fantastic at your age to be a VP. What are the things that you've learned along the way or look back 10, 12 years and what do you wish you'd done differently? Maybe. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I came out of much like my peers, my millennial friends, shout out to all my millennial friends listening to this right now. If any of you were like me, I happened to miss it through sheer luck and taking AP classes in high school, but I missed the 2008 recession, market collapse, hiring freeze, wage freeze by three or four months. I graduated early. So I just missed that. But so many of my peers, we left college with an absolute mountain of debt. It was still that point when we left school where it was like, Everyone was saying, just go to college, take out the money, get the job and and pay it off. Everybody that you encountered, parents, counselors, college people, all the people who were supporting you, that was still the narrative then. And so then when we got out and the rug had been taken out from underneath us, everyone went, oh my God. So much like everybody else, I came out and said, okay, I owe a lot of people a lot of money. I do not have the luxury of going, what do I want to be when I grow up? I I just knew I chose my major in college sociology because I was interested in all the classes. And I just went, I'd like to keep learning something I'm interested in. Never had a career in mind. So coming out and going, who's going to pay me and I'll figure it out from there is something that if I could go back, I don't know that I could change it given the circumstances and who I am, but that's starting to be able to define what I want. And even if it's a far out guidepost and maybe one or two things in between, that would be something I would be a little bit more deliberate about that from the start rather than go, I'll figure it out. I'm good at that. And that's helped me in a lot of ways, but just winging it and, and just saying yes to everything. I, if I could go back, I would be quite a bit more deliberate about that. I think. Do you think at the age, and we've talked about this on the show before, do you think at the age of 17, 18 years old, you're prepared to make that kind of a decision? You went into to something you were interested in, sociology, and 
let's be honest, understanding societies and how things work, valuable, really valuable in lots of different aspects, but you really didn't have a career in mind. Do you think it's even fair to ask kids at that age, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? You didn't know what you wanted for lunch, I'm guessing. No, I did not. All I knew, Holly, was I wanted one of those gigantic 600 calorie snapples with my lunch. That's all I knew. I knew a part of it. I knew that's what I wanted. I know I don't think it's fair. And, but more importantly, I don't think it's fair to ask for people to spend that amount of money on something without having some sort of not fail safes in place, but maybe some sort of graduated or maybe a more acceptable gap year type situation. I think a ton of people, I don't think I'm rare in any capacity on that front. I, I don't think it's rare at all for someone to go, I'm good at generally this and this. I enjoy this. So I'm just going to lean into it and figure it out. I don't, I think there's, I'm sure most people are like that, especially 17 and 18 year olds. Rare is the person who's, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon and they just know it at 17 years old. Um, There there are a few people that do that. Yeah. They're rare though, right? Yeah, they are. They are. They're definitely rare. I think it's, it's unique for women too, because, and you know, this as a student of sociology, We are socialized at a very young age around a very specific stereotype Mm -hmm. and it's no fault of anybody's. So I just want to be clear. I'm not blaming the parents of the world. I have a daughter as well as a son, and I like to think that I treated them as equally as possible in the experiences that we put in front of them that helped them in their lives, but we still have that thing hanging out there that says girls are quiet and pretty and boys are rough and tumble and competitive. And we haven't broken out of that cycle. And we, this is one of the things you and I talked about. We've come a long way as women in the world and in the workplace, but there are still so many obstacles And how do we overcome those things? I think your generation has taken it a little further, but I feel a stall. I I just completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. And to your point about socialization, I do think that was, I had a very strong mother and my dad is amazing and flexible and started his own business. He's I had the best you could possibly have. And I still, I never once for all the progress that I have right now, I never was like, I'm going to be a VP at a company. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to be a chief marketing officer, a chief brand officer. Like that never even crossed my mind, like Mm -hmm. coming up with a plan later Mm -hmm. than that. And nobody I didn't have teachers or anything like that at an early age coming at me with anything specific either. They were like, you're an excellent writer. You're really good at understanding the cause and effect of things. Like they they were praising specific things, but there was never that next step that brought you forward. And Mm -hmm. I have this very, it's, I have this very specific turning point in my head. That was probably a couple of years ago. I was reading the wall street at this point, I was a senior director and I was still very young. I was leading a group of people. I was getting promoted every two years. Like I was doing everything right. And I felt like I had it all. And I just, I could go do it. And it wasn't that I got it. I know what I need to be doing. 
I read this article in the Wall Street Journal about why there aren't more women leaders. Why are there not more women CEOs? A very long article. You can still find it, especially if you have a Wall Street Journal subscription. But the articles, the first half made sense, you know, exactly what you said, conditioning, just how you grew up, times have changed so recently that we're not going to see the effects for potentially a decade or more. But then also in the middle, there were some of the senior level women who were interviewed were like, yeah, and if I hadn't shoved and kicked and pushed or accidentally fallen into this profit and loss responsibility role, I, I this never would have happened. And I remember reading that sentence and I said, what's profit and loss responsibility. Like it was a complete and total blind spot for me. And I had been in that world for 10 years, corporate, lots of all that, you know, corporate swashbuckling that goes along with it. Everyone playing the game, doing it. I had never known that to get to a specific level of leadership, you had to have significant profit and loss experience. That was literally the first time that had ever been communicated to me. And I started showing it to my, my bosses and my mentors at work and women being like, did you know this? And they're like, yeah, I talked to them and it was almost two different conversations, right? But our male counterparts have known that from one to two years into working and it just gets built into a plan. So why do you think we miss that? I think one men, because of the conditioning men, assume and they ask at the older and more senior levels to bring those people along shore but more importantly at the younger level that first that second year of hiring and me I was just like oh thank thanks thank you so much for having me here I'm so happy to be here and you're killing it for your company and you're as women our default is oh my god thank you so much for having me I'm so enjoying being here I'll bring snacks (laughs) that's not the answer Yeah. From the the get, they're like, what's the next plan? What do I need to do to go X, Y, Z? And I think we miss it because for so long, even people who have had all the privileges that I have had, it's never even occurred to them to ask for things like that early, really early, because if we're going to bring it even with everybody, women need to be starting that at the exact same time. So they're doing their, so that they're playing on the same field. So this is interesting because now we're getting to the difference in the socialization piece of it. Boys, competitive. Now, and I'm not saying girls don't pay, play competitive sports. They do. And I think that's really important, but I think boys are conditioned to be competitive very differently than girls are. Girls are conditioned to be polite. So yes, mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to bring donuts. You want people to like you, <laughs> yeah. right? You're not nipping at somebody's heels to tell you what's the next step. What's the next thing I need to learn in order to get ahead. <laughs> You're worried about creating an environment where everyone's loved <laughs> and fed and taken care of, because that's what women have done for centuries. We're mm-hmm. We're the hostess, we're the hostess. And it's something that we've been socialized to do. So I'm curious, how are you now as a leader with this knowledge, how are you working differently with those that you mentor and sponsor as -hmm. a result of this learning? Yep. So I would say probably the most important thing that I've learned from my mentors that I'm leaning hard into and working with the women that are, are, are coming up is communication is 
absolutely enormous and critical everywhere, but especially for women within this space. The joke about the snacks thing, that's very real. Like you, we don't even know that we're, if you're the one at the end of the meeting, pushing in the chairs and cleaning up the notes and women do that nine times out of 10, it's small, but do that 300 times and you've pigeonholed yourself, right? So I'm telling women communication, not only about how you're talking, but how you're taking up space in the and making sure that you don't get put in those positions or you don't volunteer for them because you're just trying to make everything flow better. Because women are really good at that. If you've been in a room with, I've recently been in rooms with women who are like maybe my level, maybe a level lower who are still coming up and Women are such strong communicators and getting everybody on the same page and getting them moving forward together with full knowledge of everything that sometimes we have, and I've done it in the past, you over-explain everything just to get everybody all of the details so that they have everything that everybody needs to know. So you're all playing on the same field and now we're all ready to move forward. You in that same room and a man is leading that meeting. He goes, here are the three things you need to know here are options. I'm not sure about any of them. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And you end up at the end of the meeting done a lot faster, same consensus and same buy-in from everybody. The separate approach of owning the room, taking up the space and trusting yourself to pull it off is the giant difference maker in my experience in the room. Yeah. You're right. It's a very different way of showing up. And it's scary to show up that way for a lot of women because it can feel yeah. really aggressive versus the way you, we, yeah. we've operated in the past. Absolutely. And not being the guy to push in the chairs and clean up the, the table and we've all done it. But if carryover from that's what you do as a mom. <laughs> yeah. So it is even <laughs> for me now, it's hard for me to turn that on and off. Even between back and forth between work, my Sometimes even when I come home, now that I've gotten really good at addressing those things and paying attention to them at work, sometimes I'll come home and my son will be like, I don't really know what to have for a snack. And I'm like, that sounds like a personal problem and you should sort it out. And then I go, this is my son. I got <laughs> Let's go. Let me calm down. It's seven o'clock at night. I just got back from work. <laughs> yeah. And considering your sons are only five and seven, they probably <laughs> need a little guidance around that yet, Liz. So <laughs> God, I know yeah. I, need, I need to slow down and help with the snack thing, but it's, it is so hard to juggle that back and forth between the two, like being one thing at the office and then not bringing it home vice versa is it particularly tough for women, but I do think we're getting much better at it. Yeah. And I think if, if you are able to have a partner or husband, spouse, whatever, in that is a active participant in sharing in household responsibilities, it makes life a lot easier because mm -hmm. you don't have to worry so much about the fact that you have to dive into those quote unquote female responsibilities, like mm -hmm. clearing the table, emptying the dishwasher, et cetera, et cetera. I think it makes it easier to stay in that space when you're in the work, work world as well. A hundred percent. And then I've got a very, I've got a very interesting setup happening right now as I'm talking to you, Holly. My youngest brother, Tim, just left the army. He was stationed abroad. When you come home from the army, you have to go through so many different things, paperwork, doctor's appointments. It takes forever. So 
he's just been staying in our house because we're fortunate to have an extra good sized guest room. So he's just living in there. And my husband owns his own business and makes his own schedule. So I'm fully at the office all the time. My brother gets the kids off the bus. He's usually making dinner because he enjoys cooking. My husband's running around cleaning everything. Like there are, including my dog, there are five males in this house right now. And then me. And that's it. And I am the one doing the least cleaning. This is the most 2020 concentration of progress happening in a single house right now. And it is, I honestly, every day I think about how amazing that that is, that how amazing that situation is that we've gotten to the point where, you know, probably 30 or 40 years ago, that's, that wouldn't have even been a concept as something that could pull off. And it's just naturally happening around here. I didn't have to go, can you come home early and then get the kids out? They're just like, I'll get the kids off the bus. What do you want for dinner? Cool. There's probably a lot of women out there listening to this right now. I thinking, know. How do I do this? <laughs> it's how a brag I, right now. <laughs> how do, how do I make this happen? Just listing off all the benefits I have right now that make my life a lot easier, but I, I wish I had any idea. Marry the right guy. <laughs> and have an amazing younger brother, I guess. That's not helpful, but. Yeah. You also have to be on the lookout for some of those things sometimes. And also express your needs and desires. That's hard, harder for women typically to, they'll put something aside for the benefit of the greater good, as opposed to saying, Hey, this is really bothering me. And ultimate continues to fester and causes wedges between you and your significant other and all kinds of other things. But again, it goes back to how we were raised and being polite and wanting to be loved and all those things. And you can't just erase that. It's part of who you are. And it's a matter of learning how to manage it and taking risk, speaking up about your own wants and needs so that in all facets of life, whether that be at home or that be at the office, like, Hey, I'm looking for my next opportunity. What, who do I need to know? Who do I, what do I need to learn, mm -hmm. etc. Instead of sitting around and waiting for somebody to spontaneously recognize your accomplishments and then move you forward. Did that happening or are yes. almost microscopic. <laughs> well, and if, if you read the women in the workplace report, the last one, women have made some advances, very slim toward more senior level roles and CEO roles, but where women drop off is at that, that first move to management. That's where the numbers drop significantly. And that's a critical time. Oftentimes we're starting families, major changes going on in our life at that critical time. We've got to get better at helping women make that step mm -hmm. and supporting them through that because we will never expand the number of women we have in senior level roles if we don't get them into the early level management roles because they can't learn and grow and develop the way they need to. Yeah. It's one of those, it's one of those things where it's, I, I think one of the things I did, and I can't pinpoint why or where it came from or anything like that, but I have never been afraid to ask questions as it relates to what's possible, what something is. I don't know what you're talking about. Explain that to me. 
somehow I managed to pull it off every time without seeming like a complete vacant brain. I, I can, I, people appreciate when you ask them things like that. So when I was pregnant with my first, I came to my boss and, and I said, look, I really, I, I want to keep going. I want to keep going with all of this, but with pay the way it is. And I live in Fairfield County, Connecticut, childcare is expensive everywhere, but just it's out of control. In most instances, I was like, I, at the time I worked in social media and I said, you know what, you don't need me here five days a week. And by the way, I work weekends, nights, unpredictable hours. What do you think about letting me work from home three days a week? I'll come back at nine weeks. I'll be home and we can test it out. If it works great, if it doesn't, and this is pre COVID. So this was like 20, when did I have my 2015? I had my first kid and I think and COVID was awful. Don't get me wrong, but I think this is going to be a go forward benefit of COVID. If done, giving women the flexibility to be able to do that remote work, especially coming all out of all the learnings of COVID, I really think it's going to be a game changer because that was a huge game changer for me. I wasn't broke. I didn't, I wanted to, when I did start dra- dropping my sons off at daycare to socialize, I was sobbing, but they were like over a year old. I can't even imagine what it would have been like for all of the women out there who have to do it at, at nine weeks or younger, you know, that you can totally see how you go. Nope. I'm just home. I can't deal with this Yeah, because it's awful. I asked, they said yes. And I made damn sure that the test worked at a loss of a lot of sleep and high stress. I'm not going to pretend that was easy in any capacity, but I just, the one thing I did was I made damn sure that test worked. And then it got to the point where I was in like one day a week. I had my other kid. I kept the same model going the days I went in. I was fortunate. My mom came over and hung out with the kids, picked them up from their preschool. In addition to everything that should be happening with making childcare more affordable, making that early stage workplace more flexible. I really genuinely feel is what's going to be the tipping point for keeping women in. And I got promoted all during this timeframe. If you look at it on paper, you wouldn't have known I had a kid, but what made that possible was giving me that flexibility. And let's be realistic in 2020, very few people are working nine to five. Your phone is screaming at you. Slack is screaming at you. Emails are screaming at you. COVID blue. Monday through Sunday, all up, and everyone was working all over the place. The butts in seats permanently concept should be dead and should stay dead so that women can continue to stay in the workplace. And you're not going to have it all. You're certainly not going to have it all, but this gets you a lot closer to having as much as you want to have in both directions, work and family. Yeah, I think you're really onto something there. And I truly hope that employers recognize the importance of that flexibility and not just for women, but also for for men as well in those years. And that's important time to spend with your child. The fact that we have more open positions now than we have ever had in history really underscores the need for us to think differently about work and it not being butts and seats, number of hours, it is about work product and can you produce outcomes and you're paying for an outcome. That's what employers are paying for. And if you get the outcome done, what difference does it make? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? I think we've got some cataclysmic changes yet to come. It's interesting now that the Omicron variant has backed off 
And there seems to be more optimism about getting back to some sense of normalcy again. I'm seeing a lot of uh, companies trying to push people back into the office again, including my husband's employer. And it, it's just, what are you people thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking? You know, it's so expensive um, to have office space. There, you know what really just chaps me is how much time is lost to commuting too. I used oh, to get yeah. so much more work done when I didn't have to hop in my car and drive an hour. Uh, <laughs> Even yeah. just from the basic business end of things, you're like, why would I need to be in there five days a week? That's crazy. Yeah, it it yeah, it doesn't make sense. I too have worked remotely for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And um you're right. There's a place for getting together with folks. And I'm not saying I never want to be in an office again. I appreciate the collegiality and the collaboration. It's different. You can walk into somebody's office, kick around an idea. Those kinds of things are still, they're harder. It's not impossible. It's harder and you have to think about it. But you're right. The time you spend commuting, think about that on an annual basis. And yeah, some of us Yeah. I remember doing, I would do like phone calls in the car on the way home or call my mom or something in order to use that time. But it just, it's such a suck of Mm -hmm. energy and productivity. And then by the time you get home, you're sort of like, oh, now I got to get recharged again. If I want to do something tonight, even if it's work, put dinner on the table and then go back to work. It's like having to start your, your cold engine all over Mm -hmm. again. Whereas if you're at home, it just moves smoothly and seamlessly from one task to another. I really hope that it's going to take a little time, but I hope employers come around to recognizing that number one, in order to keep women involved in the workplace and being able to tap into the skills that they bring, they're going to have to be a little bit more adaptable, especially around those family years because number there there aren't enough people to provide childcare right now. We're in a crisis with that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy from every angle. So I won't continue on about that. We all no, know that you're you're just a hundred percent right. And you know, I'm the way I think about problems is generally to chunk them up. So if I even just chunked up the most important part of what you outlined. If younger women and their mentors and their bosses stay focused on that specifically, and if nothing else, we stay flexible with young women who are starting families. I'm not saying everything should go back, but if we work really hard to chunk out the most important part, which is young men and young women who are starting family, because if at that stage, we're also bringing young men in and making them just as responsible for balancing all of that, the the exponential growth of understanding of responsibilities and balancing all of that, that is a generational tipping point too, that I don't think we've hundred percent hit yet because everyone knows women were the first ones to quit their jobs when the pandemics happened and everybody had to teach their kids at the same time. I don't think we've hit that parity yet, but if we lean into that hard now within the next 10, 20 years or so, we get we get that much closer to equality if both are bought in and given enough time to balance both at that younger yeah. stage. Yeah, I sure hope we can get there. I know that the pandemic has really put us back decades in terms of women's equality, simply because so many left the workplace yeah. 
during that time. So it's tough. It's really tough. I always like to wrap up these conversations by asking what kind of advice do you have to offer to your fellow women out there or men? What advice do you have to offer as a things that you've learned through the years and what you're going to continue to embrace going forward? Yep. And I said it at the start of this where I'm not a big plan person. Like I'm not, I'm a guidepost person. I'm not a big plan person. So coming along with that, the more time I've spent in my career, the further I get away from the early stages where I go, how did I get over here on day one of my first job where I am now? If you had said, this is what's going to happen. I would have laughed you out of the room. Looking back and seeing what I did to get to this point. I think there's one consistent thing that I did Two, one, I asked 10,000 questions. I was completely unafraid to go. I have no idea what you're talking about because, and if you can figure out a way that you can pull that off authentically for yourself, the way I do it is not the way everybody else should do it because it has to be true to you. Otherwise you're going to come off as not knowing what you're talking about or being patronizing or something. The way I pull it off is I have no idea what you're talking about. Can you explain that to me? And it's a little bit self-deprecating, but it puts everyone in the room at ease. And then I'm that much smarter and that person feels invested in, and then they know I'm curious about that. And sometimes later that week, someone will be like, Hey, do you want to come to this meeting about this thing? And it opens a door asking questions just makes you smarter, makes you look smarter, makes everybody else smarter and opens those doors. And then, so you're raising your hand with, you're raising one hand with your questions. And in the other hand I'm raising, it's going me, I'll do that. I was also just in in an, initially it was in a bumbling way, but I just went, I'm bored easily. I'm a person who gets bored easily. I generally, as a rule, my entire life, I've picked things up pretty quick and I'm an absolute master of none, but pretty good at most of the things I end up touching. So I get bored quick. Coming out of that, I'll raise my hand and go, I'll do that. I'll do that brand new thing that nobody's done before. Nobody has any idea how to do. I'll figure it out. I know how to figure things out and I'm interested in it. I truly think the balance between those two things is what has brought me here because you can't create a perfect plan. You can have a guidepost on where where you want to end up going. But if you are asking the questions, any of them, all of them, and raising your hand for any opportunity, even if it's just to learn more, you have no idea what's recently Recently, I raised my hand and I was like, I would love to learn more about the marketing end of the business. And then a week later, I I got on a Zoom call and they were like, do you want to be in charge of that component of insights and analytics? And I went, oh, oh, sure. I've never done a... (laughs) I just went, yep, I will figure it out and I will learn all of it at the same time. You You never know what's going to happen if you just start saying yes to stuff, regardless of whether it makes you scared, whether you know everything about it, whether you know nothing about it, you have to trust that you're in the room for a reason. You are smart enough, you are capable enough, and you can do it. It might require some extra studying hours after work or having lunch with the right people who can teach you things, but that's another thing you're capable of. So those are my two things that I would recommend that I think generally have gotten me to where I am right now. So Summing up. So one of the things, what you just said, reminds me of one of my favorite sayings. If you don't ask the answers, always know. 
<laughs> if you, always it's always no, if you don't ask volunteering for as much as you can, being willing to take risk, be making yourself comfortable with not having all the answers, all the T's cut. And this comes up in when women uh, apply for jobs. If you look at the position description and they don't think they fit a hundred percent of it, they won't apply. There's been articles written on it and all the rest of it, but be okay with 70 to 80%. If you're 70, 80% okay with what you got in front of you, jump in, take the risk, go for it. Chances are you're going to be able to figure out the rest of the pieces. And then the piece that you said about curiosity, this is what popped into my brain. Curiosity is like a superfood. Completely agree. It's like a superfood mm -hmm. because if you can authentically just admit, I don't know this and I'd like to know. And people, you're, you're absolutely right. It's the way you present that curiosity. People like to help and they actually get more satisfaction from the act of helping than receiving help. A hundred percent. Yeah. You are so the, completely correct. Yeah. I want to encourage all the women out there. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't, don't be, be afraid, afraid to ask. And trust your gut is the two things that tie all of that together, right? Yeah. Your intuition. I think I truly believe intuition is a power, like a superpower that humans have. And women are especially adept with intuition. Follow it. If you're looking at that job description and you only have 70 or 60% of it, but you're just pulled, ask the question, reach out to the recruiter. You, if it's meant for you, it's going to happen. And by the way, you are the one who's in control of whether it's meant for you or not in terms of bringing that across the finish line. You are in control of so much of your own destiny and trusting yourself and, and trusting your intuition on stuff like that is really the game changer. Liz, this has been an amazing conversation. I want to come back to you in about five years and see where you're at. You'll be running something, I'm sure of it. Oh, I would you're, love to come back and talk to you about that. Yeah, you are a go-getter and I can see that there is no fear at all, which is amazing. Keep plugging along, keep helping your fellow women chug along and reach into all their potential and bring those gifts to the world. So it's been great having you today. Thank you. Thank you, Holly. I appreciate you. And thank you again for everything that you're doing so that women like me can be not scared, not fearful and leading into it. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to uplifting women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you. Please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.